Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined by my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, what's going on? I'm good. I've been sick for a few days, uh, so if I cough or sniffle on the podcast, I deeply, deeply apologize, but I'm going to do my best to mute myself when I need to do so. So... I'm just fine. <laughs> Very good. I mean, on today's episode of The Pot, we're going to be talking a lot about the opening uh, regional camp from New Jersey. Uh, Nick went to that, and if you're wondering why we're waiting to talk about it, uh, you know, a week after it happened, it's because we just couldn't, one, we couldn't get our schedules right soon enough, and then Nick came down with something that made him a literal goddamn zombie. So I'm glad that we're able to do this now. Uh, but yeah. So last week, uh, the opening regional was in New Jersey, he- headquarters of uh, Christian Hackenberg's New York Jets. Uh, Nick, Which, Wett- may I add, is okay. a beautiful metaphor for the New York Jets because it is surrounded by unfinished construction, overgrown fields, and we were supposed to park at a facility, I mean, like a mile away, maybe. Um, we were supposed to park there and get shuttled over. I went to park there. And was told, no, no, you can go straight to the facility. I said, okay, great. Got back in the car, drove over there, was told, oh, no, no, you need to go back over there. They're going to shuttle you over. I said, okay, well, that makes sense. That's what we were told the first time. So I headed back over there. And then they said, no, 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 this is a change of plan. I'll even give you a name to say if they tell you to come back. <laughs> and sent me back over there again. And <clears throat> and I said, okay, well, you sound legit. I guess let's go ahead and head back over there. Um, and then we got to the gate again, and they said, no, no, no. You need to go back. The shuttle's there for you waiting. So then I sent back. Get it, I was sent back. And then I finally found my way onto the school bus shuttle and eventually entered the Jets facility, which, again, that whole situation, beautiful metaphor for the New York Jets. <laughs> yeah, there's there's this John Mulaney bit um, about being stuck at the airport and basically just having – like how you can't leave a dude alone at the airport because he'll just have his head in the clouds the entire time and they just won't have a standard for how they should be treated. And Nick is kind of, kind of was the embodiment of that over the weekend. So I actually had not heard that story, so it's very funny. Uh, was it at least a nice shuttle bus or like... Nope, it was a school bus. Very good. Uh, and and if you're if you're listening, Corey uh, Massazak, our friend over, new friend over at Land of 10, he was ubered there so he i gave him a ride back and forth so we got to know each other quite well on this journey nice. so yeah uh, beyond the fact that uh the parking situation at the opening seemed like a literal disaster uh it was a pretty good uh camp especially for uh some penn state commits and some big time penn state targets i mean nick put together uh an article five takeaways from the opening regional camp in new jersey we're going to go down through uh, his all five of his takeaways and talk about some of the other Penn State uh, targets who were in attendance at that. And then we're going to just have some fun. We're going to talk about Heisman odds. I mean, we're in that weird period uh, after spring ball, and we're basically just trying to kill time until summer camp starts up. So let's talk about the Heisman. We'll talk about Saquon Barkley and Trace McSorley, their odds, whether they're good odds, what they have to do to win the Heisman. And then we'll talk about some of the favorites. We'll talk about guys like Baker Mayfield from Oklahoma, Louisville, Lamar Jackson, and the quarterback at USC whose name I'm not going to say because I didn't get mentally prepared to say it. Uh, And I usually need a minute or two before I do that. But first, talking the opening, Nick, your first point was... Something that we heard out of a lot of guys who ended up going to the opening, and that is that Justin Shorter, uh, four-star Penn State wide receiver commit, 
I, I calling him impressive almost seems like an understatement. It seemed like every time something came out about his performance, anytime anyone tweeted about it, it wrote about it, all they could say was this kid, wherever he is ranked uh, right now, he says he's the number 16 wide receiver in the country. That's a little bit too low. He is really, really good. Yeah, so when we eventually did make it in to the, uh, the camp, the guys had pretty much all finished testing for the most part. Uh, a lot of them were just warming up outside. And then the first thing we really got to see that was uh, kind of official was the finals for the fastest man competition. <coughs> and um, I didn't honest, I didn't even catch the names of the other two guys in it, but it was shorter and then two other people. Much shorter and seemed to be built much more as sprinters than shorter was. And he just completely dusted them. So from the second you walked in, there was a buzz around Shorter. I mean, it, it was not even close. There's a video out there. You can see he has both of them by a good stride, which in a 40-yard dash like that is a pretty big deal. Uh, but the rest of the day, every single time Shorter stepped up to take a rep, whether it was outside just uh, moving around cones or it was inside of one-on-ones or inside on four-on-fours, whatever it was, he just completely dominated and everybody picked their heads up from their phones. Everybody picked their heads up from their laptops to see what he was going to do next. And he just showcased a whole bunch of different things. He beat guys deep with ease, um, not even just running past them, just deploying and a whole pretty nice arsenal of moves to get around guys. He faced uh, bump and run coverage. He faced coverage off the ball, all sorts of things. Uh, but then he also showed some inside moves too. He had a couple nice curl routes couple nice out routes so he really displayed everything you'd want to display at a camp like that uh he was named the wide receiver and tight end uh, mvp (coughs) and then of course picked up his invitation to the opening so really it could not have gone better for shorter and i talked to him before they started going through drills and everything and he was talking about how (coughs) he said he knew he was the best guy out there he just wanted to show uh, that his size and speed were elite, and that he was just a step above everybody else there. And he absolutely followed through on that. And seeing him at the end, I don't think I've ever seen somebody smile as wide, with the exception of maybe PJ Mustafer, who seemed like he was about to cry. He was so happy to get his invite. But uh, really, he just dominated the day in every single way he could. Yeah, there was one uh, highlight in particular of his that got tweeted out by our buddy Greg Pickle from Penn Live where it shows him running a sluggo. I, I don't know who the defensive back was, but he basically takes like two or three steps, like looking like he's going to run a slant, and then he just breaks the other way. And the guy got cooked so badly that he just didn't even chase after him. Like He just basically stood at the five-yard line while the ball got lobbed up to shorter, and it just went right into his hands. Uh, who You mentioned in here that you think he has a legitimate claim uh, to five-star status? Like, what do you think is keeping him from getting to five-star status at this point? Does it have anything to do with him or his ability, or is it just that this is an especially good wide receiver class? I think the only reason he's not closer to that area right now is just that we kind of went through the more dormant months of the offseason. I mean, there's camps are really just starting to get going now so this is really where you see a lot of movement uh, as far as ratings but here i mean i was talking to 
bunch of 247 guys while we were there. I was talking to Steve Wiltfong, Alex Gleitman, um, Luke Stampini for a bit. I talked to Brian Doan from Scout, and really all of them were just raving about him all day. And seeing as how, particularly Wiltfong, obviously has a pretty influential say in what their ratings end up being. Uh, they all seemed pretty optimistic about the idea that he would shoot pretty high up the rankings after this performance. Awesome. And I'm Penn State's class is already pretty great. I mean, it has two five-star guys already in Justin Fields and Ricky Slade. So seeing Shorter get that bump, uh, especially, like, I, I don't know what it is, but I this class of receivers, uh, receivers and tight ends between Justin Shorter, who is 6'4", uh, Zach Kuntz, who is 6'8", and Pat Fryermuth, who is 6'5". Like, the fact that Penn State is going to be giving, whether it's Justin Fields, whether it's Sean Clifford, whether it's Tommy Stevens, whoever the guy is after Trace McSorley, so many huge weapons at his disposal, and all of them are good. Like, James Franklin, you could tell on the outside, is looking for matchup problems. And Shorter seems like the kind of guy who is definitely going to end up being one of those problems down the line. Uh, and that brings us to our next point. Uh, you mentioned that neither Zach Kuntz nor Pat Fryermuth was the best tight end in attendance. You said that went to uh, Jeremy Ruckert, a New York tight end who uh, believe Ohio State and Michigan are the favorites for him, but you can correct me on that. But you met- And Notre Dame. And Notre Dame, yes. Uh, Notre Dame, which, by the way, Pat Fryermuth is not going to, Tom Boy. Uh, you said that they both showed massive potential. Like, what were you seeing out of both of them that made them such interesting uh, tight end prospects. So with uh, Zach Koontz, it I mean, it all starts with his size. He was, aside from another tight end, Messiah Swinson, who's uh, a low three-star prospect, but 6'8", he's a huge, huge dude. Uh, he's going to be a really nice pickup for somebody. Uh, I mean, he's going to end probably end up being closer to signing day, like a lower school is just going to look up and find him there, and he's going to end up being a really good player for them. But... Aside from him, uh, Zach Kuntz was easily the tallest person there. And just starting from that point is always a good place to be because he just towered over anybody that attempted to cover him. And nobody he faces in college is going to be his size either. Like, that's not something that's going to go away. Uh, I know he's listed as six seven and a half on 247. I'd say he's pretty comfortably six eight. I would think. Uh, didn't didn't ask him specifically what his height was at, but I th- I would say he's six eight. But he's a very smooth route runner already. Like he 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 doesn't go deep necessarily, or at least he didn't go deep during the camp. He worked more underneath. But he was very very easily able to get open, whether it was out routes or <clears throat> staying right across the middle, kind of being that check down for the quarterback in the five on fours, four on fours in the finals. Uh, but he just looked great overall. He's just very smooth. Everything is very natural for him. There's nothing. It doesn't seem like he has to try very hard to make anything anything work for him on offense. It's just all just ingrained in his brain. Um, and then Fryermuth surprised me with how quick his feet were. I think it's the overall. <clears throat> I think perception of the two is that. Zach Kuntz will be more of the receiving tight end and Fryermuth more of the all-around tight end. And I think that's definitely true, but I think people are maybe underselling Fryermuth's offensive abilities just a little bit because he's very good on offense as well. Um, and just seeing him go through the ladders and seeing him go around cones and things of that nature, his feet are 
unbelievably quick, certainly faster than Zach Kuntz's. They were faster than Jeremy Ruckert's, probably the fastest of any of the tight ends I really saw. Uh, but he looked great. I mean, he's he's definitely more more filled out than Zach. Uh, he's definitely got more meat on his bones and has a lot of potential to be a really, really great blocking tight end as well. So just the combination of those two is going to be really exciting for Penn State. I, neither was as good as Jeremy Ruckert, again, I will say. Record was that was arguably as smooth as I've ever seen a tight end look outside of maybe a guy like Rob Gronkowski. He really did look excellent, but those two are going to be really exciting. Yeah. So one question I kind of want to ask based off of this, let's hypothetically say that next year Penn state is in a position where it doesn't need both guys to play uh, next year, of course, being 2018. Uh, so Mike Gusecki's gone. Uh, John Holland and Nick Bowers are both, you know, good to go. And Penn State doesn't want to have to burn the red shirt of one of these dudes. Which guy do you think is the more, I burn a year of eligibility for one of these two. Which guy do you think is more ready to step onto campus on day one and be able to play and contribute? I think Fryermuth <clears throat> might be more ready for day one. But I think the guy they would burn first would be Koontz just because They'll, like you said, they'll be in that situation. It'll be the first year in a while without Mike Asiki, who they have just exploited as an unguardable matchup nightmare for whoever he's up against. And that's that's more of Coons than Fryermuth, per se. So I think they'd be tempted to put him out on the field first just to have a continuation of that, always having that, just that Trump piece. Oh, can we change that expression from Trump piece to something else? Just always having that. Always having that uh, <clears throat> matchup problem on the there field. I think Kunz is a better um, fit for that role than Fryermuth per se, even if Fryermuth may be more ready right this second. Yeah, I have to imagine that, you know, Zach Kuntz is sitting there watching uh, Mike Gusecki, watching how he's developed and watching that. You know, they're both good athletes, they're both bigger dudes, and he's watching the way that Penn State uses Gasicki and moves him around and puts him in situations where he's they're, they're getting these matchup nightmares where it's a smaller defensive back on him and McSorley is able to throw a ball to a place the defensive back just can't go to. And I imagine that he's licking his chops and he's getting ready to step on campus and really just take over that role as the guy who just just ruins the days of defensive backs. Uh, speaking of defensive backs, we're two for two on these seamless transitions. Uh, Aishim Young looked like the real deal in the secondary. I mean, we've heard plenty of people say that really the only thing that doesn't w- work 100% in his favor is his size. I mean, he's a little bit undersized. I mean, he's listed on 24-7 as 5'9 and a half, 201. But outside of the fact that he's a little bit shorter than... Uh, you would want out of a safety. This guy is, he has all the talent in the world and he's going to be really, really good. Yeah, um, this was actually one pronunciation I did make sure I found out. It's Ashim Young, officially. Ashim? Uh, like like A-H, Ashim. Okay, Ashim, okay. <clears throat> so, yeah, like like you said, it, his size is noticeable. He is not the biggest guy in the world. He's pro- He was probably one of the smaller guys in the defensive back group. But that didn't matter in on Sunday. It really didn't. He played kind of that center field position really, really well. <clears throat> and it's something that I feel like like Penn State, 
their safety their safety situation recently, they haven't really had a true center field type guy because Marcus Allen typically plays a lot closer to the box than like when I think of center fielder as a safety, I think of Earl Thomas, guy who st- sits back, do. covers the. In- uh, of course I do. <clears throat> sits back, covers. I meant or Texas Earl Thomas. Come on, not okay, Seahawks fine, Earl fine, Thomas. Fine, fine. Sits back, just surveys the entire field waits for the QB to make his move or anticipates the QB making his move and breaks on the ball. That's what Ashim Young was doing on Sunday. He would sit back. He would either identify the deep route um, before the quarterback threw it, or he would make a great jump on the ball when the quarterback did throw it. And he would just cover that ground really, really quickly. And like I said in the article, he grabbed at least two interceptions interceptions that I saw. There may have been another one or two that happened when I was elsewhere, but the two I saw, I mean, they were both great plays. One of them, one of them, he broke before the quarterback threw. He recognized the deep route, saw that his corner was getting beat, glided over, skied above the receiver, made the grab. And the second one, he it was more of just reading what the quarterback did it, after the pass is thrown. He got to the spot, made the pick in traffic. It was great. Uh, so I think that's something that Penn State hasn't really had recently because Allen plays up close to the box, and then Troy Apke, whoever's playing next to him, isn't quite good enough to really play a center field position uh so i think the possibility of adding a shame young to the class could give penn state a different kind of safety than they've had recently and it was kind of a role that ryan kaiser tried to fill a little bit um jesse de la valley attempted to i think kaiser is probably the closest recently because jordan lucas was also kind of more up towards the box adrian amos i think did a little bit of it but Ashim Young, I think, is definitely a step ahead in that kind of center field aspect. So, did, did you get a chance to talk to him? Uh, I didn't interview him. I okay. said a few words to him. Uh, not anything so, official. So, you don't really have a sense of where, I, I mean, based on his uh, crystal ball, Penn State is the overwhelming favor right now, but you don't have you don't have or didn't get a chance to ask him and get a sense about where Penn State is uh, on his list of uh, schools and how close he is to pulling the trigger for Penn State or another school that's interested in him, right? I did not speak okay. with him personally, but I spoke with various, uh, a couple 247 guys and scout guys, and it was pretty much the consensus that him ending up anywhere other than Penn State would be a absolute, absolute shock. Nice, nice. And on the subject of other guys who... Seem like they're going to end up at Penn State. Number four, uh, you mentioned Dorian Hardy and how he led the defensive line group along uh, with Tyler Friday and PJ Mustafer. I mean, three guys who are really talented. Penn State is in on all of them. First off, if you had to bet on one of these guys ending up at Penn State, you would bet Hardy, correct? Yeah, Hardy would be the first one, I would say. And then what do you think about Penn State's chances for Mustafer and Friday? Well, from what I have been hearing about Mustafer, particularly from Alex Geiman of uh, Bucknuts on 247 and national stuff as well, uh, he was pretty seemed pretty confident that Mustafer would eventually end up at Ohio State. Uh, but then I know right after the right after the camp, Steve Wiltfong actually put out that if he was to put his crystal ball in right now, that Mustafer would be he would put Mustafer in for Penn State. Uh, I on I didn't get a chance to speak with him. He like I said before, he was he was so deliriously happy that he he wasn't really talking to anyone after he got his invitation. He was just kind of walking around and taking in the moment, which was cool to see. But uh, yeah, I I mean, 
apparently there's more of a chance than I'd initially thought. <clears throat> but, uh, I mean, obviously Penn State would love that pickup. I think it'll be tough to beat out uh, both Notre Dame, where his brother plays, and Ohio State and Larry Johnson in the end. But, I mean, Coach Chaos is known to do great things, so could happen. Yeah, Coach Chaos is very good. Um, I, I don't think we can say this enough that he is, I, I think at this point it's safe to say, one of the best defensive line coaches in the country, but that's a different uh, discussion. Maybe put, so I'll write this down on our uh, list of things to do, just where Penn State's various position coaches rank like among some of the best nationally, just because I want to be able to make my case that Josh Gaddis is maybe the best wide receivers coach in the country. Neither here nor there. Uh just talking about Moose for Friday and Hardy, what were they showing you uh, as, like, what were they doing that made them so, so, so uh, stick out so much among the defensive line group? Well, part of the, part of the reason was that it was a very underwhelming offensive line group. The kind of highlight, highlights of that group that were supposed to be there were Matthew Jones and Kadir White, and neither of them ended up showing up. So they really didn't have a ton of competition in their way. Uh, but those three, along with uh, Jason Amendolola, who's uh, committed to Notre Dame, he also received an invite to the opening. But those four really didn't face a lot in terms of resistance in front of them. And Micah Parsons as well, when he did come over from the linebackers group for a few moments. Uh, but they, they didn't really have a lot in their way. But... They were still pretty clearly the cream of the crop of the group just based on the technique work and uh, just understanding what they were supposed to be doing. I think they all are still pretty raw. Um, they still definitely have things to work on as far as that technique, but they clearly have the power and the size and the speed necessary to dominate on the defensive line wherever they end up. I know Friday and Hardy both worked out as defensive ends, uh, even though Friday widely is considered defensive tackle on the recruiting services. Mustafa worked out defensive end. That's where he's expected to be. And some even think that Hardy will end up a defensive tackle. So um, it was good for them to show that they can still handle things on the outside. Uh, so overall, I mean, just the their size and their technique and their just ability to pick things up quickly and understand what they need to do was kind of what set them apart. Yeah, and just really quickly... Uh, when talking about Friday, uh, you, you might have touched on this and I might have missed it while I'm trying to figure out what I want for dinner, but where do you think Penn State stands in his recruitment based on you know whoever you might have talked to that could have uh, given you some information? Did you say Hardy or Friday? Friday. If I said Hardy, I apologize. I meant Friday. With, so with Friday, I did get a uh, Tyler Donahue from Land of Ten, and I uh, kind of co-interviewed him, and he gave us the sense that He's kind of right now down to Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan, uh, although Michigan State is gaining more. I think that he said they recently offered, so they're someone he wants to check out a little more. But the consensus from talking to people seemed to be that Michigan was kind of the, the runaway favorite. Uh, I know talking to Andrew Ellis from 11 Warriors, that's what he thought as well. So it'll be interesting to see. He Definitely, he spoke highly of Penn State. He talked talked about how he enjoyed his visit. So I don't think that's a, a lost cause per se. But it sounds like Michigan's definitely the leader there. So are you telling me that the Rutgers prediction on this crystal ball may be a bit out of date? 
I think that may be a bit out of date. He did mention that he he is he does uh, visit Rutgers. It's very close to him. He's yes. gone there a few times. He's not he's not ruling them out or anything. But um, I it's it's kind of hard to say that he's going to end up at Rutgers. Yes, I I think that's safe. And finally, uh, the last person you mentioned in this who was also not ending up at Rutgers, Jahan Dotson, who's had a very interesting uh, recruitment. It looked like you know early, early on in his recruitment, like his sophomore year of high school, by nature of him being a guy who I believe was in Pennsylvania at first. Yep. Yeah. It, based on that, it looked like Penn State might have been able to get him. Penn State goes out and gets Justin Shorter. Suddenly, Dotson, it seems like, is looking around at a few other places. And then recently, whatever has ended up happening, Penn State has gotten back in on him and is now the overwhelming favorite to land him. And as you you wrote, uh, overshadowed by Justin Shorter, which is probably, I'm going to guess, says more about Justin Shorter than it does Jahan Dotson, but he still looked great. What was, you know, making him stick out so much? So with him, whereas Shorter was just constantly getting open deep, especially Shorter, or uh, Dotson was doing some really, really great work underneath, just winning a lot of one-on-one battles just with his feet and hand fighting. Um, so he just, just really, really good over the middle of the field, which is kind of where he's projected to mostly specialize in in college. He's very fast. He's very quick. Uh, I would, I think... Shorter is, I mean, Shorter obviously is the faster of the two. He won the fastest man competition, but I think Dotson might have him just on quickness and quick twitch. So he kind of worked in the middle of the field. He worked a few routes uh, at the same time as Shorter. So while Shorter went deep, Dotson was either uh, <coughs> occupying a guy in the middle or using uh, Shorter, Shorter grabbing the corner and the safety pole in the way to get open himself. So they worked pretty well together, and they were... One thing I did notice with Dotson that was kind of hard to miss, I mean, he was talking with Shorter all day. He was talking with Zach Koontz and Pat Frymuth all day. Uh, he was talking to Micah Parsons. I know Micah Parsons is not currently a Penn State commit anymore, but he's still highly interested in Penn State. We'll get there. Uh, but... He was really hanging around with a lot of those Penn State commits all day and just talking to a lot of guys interested in Penn State. Um, so I think as far as his future at the Nittany Lions, I think that looks pretty good. I don't know what happened. Uh, obviously, he was a big target early on, and then things just dissipated for whatever reason. Not sure why. But now the Penn State is back with a vengeance, it's, it seems. And they... I mean, all of a sudden, have put themselves in really good position to get a signature. So if they're able to end up with Justin Shorter, Jahan Dotson, and then a guy like Daniel George or Salomon Enos, maybe all four, I don't know what their restrictions are on their wide receiver position. They've taken three or four every year, so I can't imagine they turn away any of those four. It could be another, I mean, this could be the best receiver class they've had under James Franklin. Yeah, I I would not mind that. I mean, if Penn State were able to get that class, I mean, even if it's just able to get Justin Shorter, uh, Solomon Enos, and Jahan Dotson, that's an insane receiver class. Adding any talent onto that uh, after that. And just to be clear, let me look this up right now, but Solomon Enos is very much not a Penn State like strong lean or anything like that. He has one prediction, and it's in his crystal balls for Arizona State. Like, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. So let's just hypothetically Penn State just guess Jahan Dawson and Justin Shorter. That is a really good wide receiver class. So the fact that Penn State could be secure at that position 
for two or three years just based on this class is something that is really, really fun. Uh, last thing I wanted to uh, touch on with the opening are the Penn State targets who were there. I mean, we mentioned a few uh, that you wrote about, you know, Dotson, uh, the defensive lineman, uh, Ashim Young. Let's talk about some of the other guys. Uh, let's talk about Micah Parsons, how he ended up looking. Uh, just going through the list of dudes who were there. Uh, you, you know what? We pay you to know this stuff, not me. So go for it. Yeah, I, ju- I didn't realize people wanted to hear about Micah Parsons. Is he someone of interest for everyone? Do well, you think? I, a little bit, I think. I mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I, I guess I guess top five guys are usually pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, so Michael Parsons uh, chose to work out with the linebackers. I read something that he was told he had to. I yeah, I think sure I saw that too, that's... but I don't remember like what exactly was the logic behind that. Yeah, I heard something said because he couldn't work with pads, but that I I don't know. He he came and took defensive end reps anyway and won both of them fairly easily. So, but he worked out with the linebackers most of the day. Uh, in the cat and mouse drill, for those of you that don't know, that's where the running back and the linebacker start on opposite sides, and the running back just tries to get by the linebacker. Easily the most unrealistic drill that exists at these camps because some of these guys pull moves that would get them obliterated on a real football field. Uh, but of the four reps in the kind of uh, the counting round, like the competition round, they kind of keep track from camp to camp who wins between the linebackers and the running backs. So they count a point for every time somebody wins. And Parsons, I believe, went four times total twice in those finals. <coughs> and the first two times he was up, he looked fine, wrapped him up easily, got got there in plenty of time. The second two times, he got shook out of his shoes. And both of the times there were moves, again, they would get a dude killed on the football field because somebody else would come flying and level him. But still, I mean, I I think his, I think he's better suited for defensive end than linebacker. He did look very good in coverage. As a linebacker, he earned an invitation to the opening. As a linebacker, he was part of the kind of the final the final reps. As a linebacker, they pulled him out, uh, and they kind of have the whole group together, and they pull out two different groups for offense, two different groups for defense for the final reps. And he was one of the linebackers they pulled out, and he looked good in coverage. He's an unbelievable athlete. He's big. He's strong. He's fast. He can. I mean, he can succeed anywhere on a football field. I just think he's a little better suited for defensive end. Uh, but <clears throat> when Greg Pickle from Penn Live and I were talking to him, he did say that a lot of teams are really interested in him as a stand-up linebacker, as opposed to a hand on the dirt defensive end. So it'll be interesting to watch. I don't think that he ends up anywhere other than Penn State or Ohio State, and I'm pretty sure Ohio State is also recruiting him as a defensive end unless something has changed, and obviously Penn State it is as well, though. I think both schools would be perfectly happy to let him do whatever he wants because he's a transcendent athlete. Uh, <clears throat> but he looked pretty good overall uh, for the realistic parts of the game, I'd say. All right. Uh, beyond that, uh, athletically, it seemed like Jason Owe uh, just blew everybody away. Yeah, so I didn't actually get a chance to see him. I Honestly, I didn't realize he was there at first. Uh, Alex Gleiman pointed, pointed him out to me, and I went and watched him a little bit. Didn't really get to see a whole lot. But from what I heard, he looked fantastic. And uh, I was told that it would be a pretty shocking upset for him to end up anywhere other than Penn State. 
I, I talked to him the other day, and he said he wasn't quite sure when he was going to have a decision, per se. Uh, he said maybe in the summer, maybe right before the season. So I kind of get the feeling that I'm not sure he's somebody who has a completely open invitation to commit whenever he wants, uh, but he's definitely someone with a lot of athletic ability that Penn State clearly is interested in. Uh, next one, let's talk about a receiver from uh, the southern part of Pennsylvania, Shaquan Anderson Butts. Uh, he's another one who I honestly I didn't see. I looked for him. I couldn't find him. Uh, admittedly, that was probably also partially due to the fact that I was so enamored by Justin Shorter and watching him work. Uh, <laughs> but I heard similar things. I heard that he uh, showed well. I heard that he did what he was expected to do. He's somebody who's going to remain on Penn State's board until he's not. Uh, there's, I mean, it's it's an interesting situation, and it's somewhat reminiscent in a few ways of, um, oh, what's his name? Went to Michigan. Uh, Kalik Hudson, I think, in some ways. Uh, there's maybe a few other issues with butts uh, that were a little bit different than Hudson, but it'll be interesting to watch where he ends up. And lastly, uh, one more defensive lineman, Marcellus Erlington. Uh, who, who, just to be clear, he picked up some honor today. I don't remember exactly what it was, but... Yeah, let me pull that up. Let's talk about that, because that's very Here, you recent. talk about him, and I'll we pull are. it up. Okay. Um, well, he's another one. I was. I don't remember seeing him at all, actually. was. Are, are you sure he was there? I don't, I'm not sure he was there. He's listed on this primer that I'm looking at, but I could very well be wrong. He he was a Rivals Camp Series defensive line MVP at a camp where uh, our future Penn State uh, Athletic Hall of Famer Ricky Slade was attending along with, uh, who was the last dude? I'm trying to remember. Uh, uh, Rashid, Rashid Walker. Walker. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I'm trying to look at, yeah, I guess Erlington was there. I honestly don't remember seeing him. Uh, he, I think it, <laughs> he clearly must have been a step below the guys I was watching then. But, uh, <clears throat> I mean, there are some other good guys in the group. It's not like there were, it's not like those four I talked about before, the only talented linemen there. I mean, there were right. some talented guys, and they were going up against, like I said, not great offensive line competition. So um, there was definitely some stuff for them to show. And, I mean, clearly he... May may not have had his best week then, but clearly stepped it up this week at Rivals. Yeah, all right. So are there any final takeaways you would like to mention from this before we talk about the Heisman? Not that I can think of, other than the fact that this was very clearly like a Penn State-centric camp. There were so many guys that were Penn State targets, so many guys that were Penn State commits. There were a lot of just a lot of talk about Penn State, um, whether it's the guys we talked about, guys like Shane Simon, um, guys like Nyquee Hawkins, uh, 2019 cornerback yes. I got a chance to talk to. It was pretty funny. I asked him, we were talking about Penn State for a while, and then I asked him who else was standing out to him, and he actually had to think for a second to even come up with other names. So <laughs> needless to say, I would be pretty shocked if he ended up elsewhere. But he looked very good, and he's a big kid too. He might be – he's listed at six feet. He might be closer to six one, but uh, – it was just, it was very interesting to see interesting to see just a very Penn State centric environment, even though it was obviously the opening centric, but just a lot of Penn State buzz. Nice, nice. I, that's what happens when you uh when you end up winning the Big Ten, I suppose. 
so yeah. yeah, I guess so. Yeah, let's uh, let's end up talking. Let's end this by talking about the Heisman. Uh, looking at the most recent odds, at I mean, and by most recent, I mean the most recent on the page that showed up on first page that showed up when I typed into Google. Uh, the list was compiled by. A uh, friend of the site, Ryan Dunwavy from NJ.com. Bill, who is, who is Ryan Dunwavy? Uh, I don't want to sell him short, so let me just make sure uh, that I have... I ha- swear that name sounds really familiar to me. Actually, just opinions he, on running backs. So here's, so here's the funny part of this. Uh, so Nick actually forgot why he knew Ryan Dunwavy's name uh, up until uh, the beginning of this podcast. But uh, before... The 2015 game between Penn State and Rutgers was at Beaver Stadium. It was the first stripe out. It was kind of the uh, – by that point, we had known that Saquon Barkley could play. We didn't know But just, I hear Rutgers had a loaded backfield. <laughs> we didn't know just how good he was yet. Uh, and this was the game where basically he and Akeel Lynch just went thunder and lightning on Rutgers' defense. And before the game, Ryan Dunwavy uh, tweeted, hashtag Penn State RB – Saquon Barkley is a former hashtag our football commit. Not sure where he'd fit in this loaded backfield. That is, of course, mm. one of mm. the best tweets that has ever been composed. Because in that game, I'm pulling the box score up right now. But if I remember correctly, that was one of the all-time great uh, differences in performance by two running back groups. Yes, uh, so Penn State... On a whole, 41 rushes, 330 yards, four touchdowns. Saquon Barkley, 21 carries, 195, two touchdowns. For Rutgers, 32 carries, 43 yards, zero touchdowns. So Saquon Barkley didn't just lap Rutgers. He lapped them and then lapped them again. And then just for kicks, he lapped them like three more times. Thanks, Ryan Dunwoody. Well, and hey, also, they gave they gave out thirty two carries. Where is Saquon going to fit? Where are they going to run the ball forty true. times? That is true. I mean, Come on. why would Come on. why would Rutgers ever want to do anything that helps them win? Uh, so yeah, thank you, Ryan Dunwoody, for that and for compiling this list of Heisman odds. I have since gotten to compose myself, but looking at the list as it is currently thrown together, uh, USC quarterback Sam Darnold at five to Damn, one. Sorry. I, I want to hate you, but I just can't. I respect you far too much, Sam Darnold. Uh, he's at five to one. Baker Mayfield from Oklahoma is at seven to one. Uh, reigning Heisman winner Lamar Jackson. Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Well, we'll talk Jamar, about him. Jamar Laxon. <laughs> reigning Heisman winner Lamar Jackson at eight to one. Uh, the one thing I'm pretty certain about is that Lamar Jackson is not going to win it again. We'll talk about why in a second. JT Barrett from Ohio State at 10 to 1. BJ Tarrant. Nick, calm down. (laughs) Uh, Washington quarterback Jake Browning at 12 to 1. Florida State quarterback DeAndre Francois at 12 to 1. Oklahoma State quarterback Mason Rudolph at 15 to 1. I think you guys are sensing a theme. Race and Rudolph, yes. Uh, That's actually a really good spoonerism. Uh, But yeah, it's a. And then US, uh, UCLA's Josh Rosen at 15 to 1. It's a. Josh Chosen! I hate you, Jim Moore. You ruined him. I every bad thing that happens to Josh Rosen, I blame completely on Jim Moore. But yeah, that's the top, you know, eight guys or so. And then we get to the first non-quarterback, and it's Saquon Barkley at twenty to one. Uh, and then right back from there, it picks up Jalen Hurts at twenty to one, Bo Scarborough at twenty to one, Trace McSorley at twenty to one, Darius Geis at twenty to one. 
Nick Chubb at 25 to one. And then uh, Florida State's Derwin James at 60 to one. Uh, Derwin James, who yeah. is basically Jabril Peppers, only he is everything people say about Jabril Peppers instead of what Jabril Peppers is. Nick, when you hear those names, I mean, I, I think that you and I agree that it's going to be really hard for Trace McSorley to win the Heisman this year. I And I think that that's largely because this quarterback field is so loaded. I mean, I can't imagine that any of the top, I mean, one or two of the top eight guys I think are going to fall off, but not to the point that they're completely out of the running. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the thing that keeps McSorley from getting to the point of being considered one of the five best quarterbacks in the country is just because there's so much talent in that position. So if Penn State is getting someone to New York, it's almost definitely going to be Saquon Barkley. I think you agree with me on this, correct? I I think I do. I actually wrote okay. um, some pretty, um, well, maybe not that in-depth, but pretty statistically-based pieces on both of them, how they could win the Heisman. Um, and one of the things that I found, <clears throat> let me pull it up here. So high, the, high, the winning Heisman quarterback from the year 2000 to the year 2016, their average statistics were the following. Uh, 3,588 passing yards. A 64.7 completion percentage, a 33 to 8 uh, touchdown interception ratio, and then a team record of like 11.6 and 1.7. And then since 2010, the average rush yards per winner has been 1,023. So comparing that to McSorley's stats from last season, he's already ahead of the passing yard average. He's about seven completion percentage points behind. Four touchdowns behind, same interceptions, um, team record, basically the same, a few more losses, but uh, with the way that college football structured now, a little bit different than it was in the year early 2000s. Um, and he was about 700-ish rushing yards behind. So <clears throat> when you think about it just that way, it's not that difficult to see how he could step up and win the Heisman. But the problem is that there are some really, really transcendent talents ahead of him like you said um just i mean just to name a couple there's like oh i'm not gonna name because you just did but he would need i think <laughs> i think he would need at least three or two or maybe even three or four of those guys to really just fall off just not have great seasons i think he'll end up better than jalen hurts in that race when all said and done but of course, Jalen Hurts also plays for Alabama, so he gets a nice little boon there. Well, there's all there's uh, also the chance that Hurts <laughs> loses the job to Tua. Like Tua just yeah, take a I job don't. From him. I, I don't I think, don't think he does happen. either. But I also think that the first interception he throws, like they're going to start hearing Tua chance, and I wouldn't be surprised if that kind of just impacts his ability to play. Even though Jalen Hurts is very good. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I, I think it would take a, at least three or four of those guys falling off for him to really have a chance just because there's so many. It's not likely that all those guys bust this year. That's just not likely. So I think Trace McSorley has the better chance, but I don't think it's a great chance. If this wasn't such a quarterback, uh, if this wasn't such a talented group of quarterbacks right now, I think Saquon would actually have a decent chance. Um, the only guys who've won Heisman's uh, since the year 2000 that were not quarterbacks were 
Reggie Bush in 2005, Mark Ingram in 2009, and Derrick Henry in 2015. In 2005, Reggie Bush won it over Vince Young. Uh, if that if that exact season happened today, I think Young probably wins it. Uh, Mark Ingram won it in the most probably boring Heisman year ever. The second place yeah. vote getter was took Gerhardt. And then, well, <laughs> Ndabakin Sue won the Heisman that year. They just gave it to somebody else. Yes. Third place was Colt McCoy. If only Colt McCoy had played. Colt McCoy was had incredible numbers. Like, he's another one. I think if this happened, if this season happened like last year, I don't think there's any question Colt McCoy would have won. He had a 70.6 completion percentage. Yeah. 3,500 yards and rushed for 348. And he also... He also 30, had like the lifetime game. achievement award thing under his belt, also. But yeah, I can believe. Yeah. Uh, again, Ndamukong Sue won it that year, but Mark Ingram got the trophy. Yeah, uh, and then 2015, Derrick Henry, some somehow somehow beat Christian McCaffrey for the Heisman. I, I well, do no, it. It's because vote. Uh, I'm gonna get really mad for a second. It's because voters are yeah. a bunch of curmudgeonly old, like assholes who don't stay up past 8 p.m. So when Christian McCaffrey is out on the West Coast, like putting up very similar rushing numbers and then also returning kicks and catching passes out of the backfield in a way that Henry just could not do, it didn't matter because they, everyone who made the decision for the award was in bed and they just couldn't pay attention to the fact that they had the best all-around running back since Reggie Bush playing on the west, uh, I'm I'm done. I'm done. Nick, keep going. But even considering that, you have to look his number. Look at his numbers for five seconds. Oh, I know. And it's an easy decision. He had two hundred two thousand six hundred sixty four total yards. Six hundred forty five of those were receiving. He had thirteen total touchdowns, which yes is trumped by Henry. Henry had twenty eight yes. total touchdowns. Yes. Whatever. <clears throat> McCaffrey averaged six yards a carry. Henry averaged five point six. <clears throat> McCaffrey averaged nearly 30 yards per kick return and had two return touchdowns. And this isn't taking into account that to for Derrick Henry to get his admittedly very impressive 2,310 rushing yards, only had 91 receiving yards, it took him 395 carries and he to was, do that. He was also playing on Alabama's ridiculous offense behind yeah. an offensive line full of crazy people. Christian McCaffrey was so good that this past year, he had 1,913 yards from scrimmage and 16 touchdowns, and it was considered a disappointment. Yeah. And then toiling, toiling along in third place with a ho-hum 2.2 off of a 70% completion percentage, 4,100 passing yards, 1,100 rushing yards, and a 47-13 to 13 touchdown interception ratio, Deshaun Watson. Well, you, you said his name wrong. It's uh, Bill O'Brien's uh, next great quarterback, Deshaun Watson. Oh. That makes uh, we're me gonna so have, happy. We're gonna we're gonna spend a whole podcast talking about that soon. Yes, we will. Let's get back to what we're talking about now because <clears> you have other things yes. to do. So uh going through all that, so clearly it takes some pretty extenuating circumstances for a non quarterback, at least in this era of college football, to win the Heisman Trophy. Saquon Barkley is incredible, but with so many talented quarterbacks, I don't know that he's going to be like a Reggie Bush level transcendent. Um, in order to beat them out, just because there's, <clears throat> like you said, there's just so many options. So I think it's possible we see one of McSorley or Barkley in New York. I also think it's unlikely because they're going to steal votes from each other. So right. probably no Heisman winner, but still fun. And there's the, the one thing to remember is that 
of the top 10 guys last year, you know, how many? One, two, three, four. Four of them were quarterbacks. Three of them are back this year. One of them is the defending winner. Like, I would be very surprised if... Well, Lamar Jackson, I, I think he's winning, but I also think the I, he's going to be in the top five again this year, but I also think the bar is going to be so high for him that he can't win it. I, I mean, just look at Johnny. There's, a, there's a reason guys don't win right. this trophy twice. Right. So Lamar Jackson, I think he makes it, but I don't think he wins it. Baker Mayfield could end up winning it. Baker Mayfield is awesome, and he's going to put up just some absolutely silly numbers, assuming Oklahoma can figure out. Uh, you know, who is going to plug into its skill positions considering they lost, uh, you know, a good two-thirds of a really good running back core. Uh, Joe Mixon's an asshole. But two-thirds of a really good running back core and D.D. Westbrook, who was also an asshole, uh, to the NFL. Uh, and then there's Jake Browning at Washington, who is going to just chug along and put up a r- really great numbers and be really efficient all year and going to be Extremely impressive, but nobody's going to watch him. So he's going to eat up a lot of third, fourth, and fifth place votes, but he's still going to get there. So really, I think that guys are competing. If they're taking five guys to New York, Sam Darnold is competing for that spot. JT Barrett is competing for that spot. DeAndre Francois is competing for that spot. I think you mean future Ohio State starting quarterback Joe Burrow. (laughs) No, I actually don't. Uh, Mason Rudolph... It's going to be competing for that spot, even if I'm, you know, always worried about what's going to happen for Oklahoma State because Oklahoma State is just lunacy. And then Josh Rosen, assuming that um, he has feeling in his right shoulder, which, you know, the jury's still out on that, he's going to be competing for that spot. So it's going to be really tough. I think if they're taking one guy, I wouldn't be surprised if this Heisman class is like, if they take five guys again, which is, the caveat to all of this, it's three quarterbacks and then one one or two guys who are just kind of wild cards. But I also wouldn't be surprised if it's four quarterbacks and then that one final guy. And that's where it gets interesting. Is it Saquon who's going to put up some really silly numbers this year? Is it uh, Bo Scarborough? Is it Darius Geis? Is it Nick Chubb? Is it Derwin James if they want to get a defense player in there? Yes, indeed. Uh, Jerwin Dames. Uh, so sure. there could, are, could be a guy like could be a guy like Royce Freeman too. Could be a guy like Roy, Royce Freeman who is underrated for the 500th year in a row because that's how long he's been in college. But yeah, like there's this is a really really fun Heisman race to watch. I think Saquon Barkley ends up making it. Uh, I also think he probably ends up in the top three. I, I I think that the worst thing that can happen for him is for Penn State to go in like nine and three or eight and four. Because if Penn State is able to, if he has those like one or two marquee games, because that's what we always hear about. We hear about the Heisman moments. So if he's able to go to Columbus and just tear it up against Ohio State, or if he's able to have a huge game against Michigan, and he's able to, you know, you know, Penn State's in one of those tight games against one of those teams where it's like 30 to 27 with a minute 14 left, and then he breaks off a 50 or 60 yard run to score a game-winning touchdown. Like, those are the kind of big moments he needs, along with the silly box scores that we kind of expect. And if he's able to do all of this, then I think he's getting to New York. It's an uphill battle for a running back to to win the award. But I also think that there's a... I I mean, if anyone is suited to do that, it's going to be him. And then as for McSorley, again, this is a loaded quarterback class. He 
should be able to put up some really fun numbers. Uh, but no matter what he does, I think Saquon's going to overshadow him just a little bit. And I do think that may end up being unfair because they're going to have different functions within Penn State's offense. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, so First yeah. and foremost, though, they, they, the team needs to win. I mean, right, because no, right. if you look at if you look at the Heisman winners, all the quarterbacks, the only quarterbacks to win the award um, that finished with more than two losses are 2007 Tim Tebow, so transcendent well, plus the hype. Yeah, I mean, 2011. He, he, I mean, it's. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but between Tebow and I think the next guy you're going to say. Like, it's guys who transcended college football in various ways. Yep. 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 Yeah, it's 2011 Robert Griffin III. Yep. Um, he threw for 4,300 yards and completed 72.5% of his passes. That's just unreal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the only other guy with two losses or, or with more than two losses was Lamar Jackson, 2016. Yep. Yep. So, so yeah. Got to win. You have to win, and I wouldn't. I I don't think Penn State is going to struggle to win, but I also think that in the event that happens, it's going to be an uphill battle, especially, I mean, for McSorley, but then with uh, Barkley, this is a really good class of running backs. I mean, Nick Chubb has been in school for a million years, but he's really good. Same with Royce Freeman. If Nick Chubb's able to stay healthy, he's going to be able to do some really fun stuff. Darius Geis is awesome. Uh, he doesn't get the love that he deserves because he was in a backfield with Leonard Fournette last year, but he is awesome. And I believe he led, uh, he may have had more rushing yards last year. But yeah, he had more rushing yards than Fournette. That's right, because yeah. Fournette missed, uh, you know, he's some injury issues. And then Bo Scarborough, who is chiseled from marble and is incredibly fast and is just a terrifying human being. So, yeah. Guys like Mike Weber, too. Mike, we- Mike Weber, yeah. If, uh, yeah, I mean, Ohio State, we're still trying to figure out what we should fully expect from them on offense, just because JT Barrett had such a weird year last year. But if there's one thing that I know, it's that you should never bet against a team that has Kevin Wilson doing what it has to do on offense. Neither here nor there. I think this was a good for uh, this edition of the pod. Do you agree? I agree. All right, then awesome. Thank you, everyone, uh, as always, for listening to this edition of the podcast. As always, keep reading the site, keep sharing our stuff, keep supporting the site by doing things like buying our shirts, uh, which are, you know, as always, they're still lovely and they will be your favorite shirts in no time. Uh, make sure you go out. I'm just going to, I'm singing background music for you. I'm actually wearing my WVU basketball hoodie right now, so this is very <laughs> weird. All right, keep going, keep going. Okay. Uh, yeah, follow us on all of our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're getting into Snapchat. Nick went to a museum and forgot to log out of the RLR Snapchat yesterday. Uh, so if you saw a picture of a very large airplane that was supposed to be on Nick's Snapchat, instead it ended up on the RLR one. He didn't realize it until like an hour later. It was very funny. Uh, and then subscribe to our podcast. We're on iTunes. Uh, we're on SoundCloud. We're on Google Play. And then what's the last one, Nick, that I always forget? Overcast. Overcast. So, yeah. Make sure you get out there, support us on all those mediums. And yeah, again, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio from my co-host Nick Pollock. I am Bill DeFilpo. Take care, everyone. West Virginia, Mount Mama. I'm not going to stop recording. Take me home, them country roads. You done? Kill lights. You done? Yeah. Okay, bye.